not only this morning do I want to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 and continue, but I want to start again this, this morning because I, I truly believe, uh, and I know that there's those that have been praying for this. Uh, I mentioned a little bit Wednesday, I want to mention t- to it now. I know that most of us are very keenly aware of the importance of the Bible. And I can't get away from it. I, I Every time I go to... Uh, think about what you know. I'm going to write down or what I'm going to say. Uh, it comes to the forefront of my mind. We need to know the Bible. And what, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago, that would be a, well, that would probably be a waste of time for a lot of people, a lot of pastors or whatever, talk about this because so many people did know their Bible. But as time is going on, people do not know their Bible. Do you know the number one problem in the church today at all is biblical illiteracy. Did I say that right now? Biblical illiteracy. They just don't know their Bible. Do not take a man's word for uh, for anything, especially about the character of God. Do you want to know the character of God? Get into His Word. You want to know the promises of God? Get into His Word. You want to know the end times? This is a big one. The end times. Get into His Word. We are not here to prepare a paradise so Jesus can come back. We are here to snatch souls out of the fire because Christ is coming back first in the air to get his own, the second to come back with his own to this earth to execute judgment. This world is not heading for major revival. I'm sorry to say it's heading for judgment. I mean, I would love to live in a little bit to be in a world. I got kids and grandkids. So do you. But it's just not the way it's going to be. But you want to know what's going to happen? Get into the Bible. The character of God is revealed in the pages of His Word, not by a man's philosophy or not by what a man thinks. A good communicator of the Word of God will communicate, but what he communicates comes directly from the Word of God. Let no man deceive you on this. Oh, I've got new revelations. I, you know, I've done this. You know, I was in Egypt the other day, and I won't name names, but there's a man who was on the scene today leading multitudes astray, said that years ago he was in the land of Egypt, and he received a revelation from God. And the revelation from God he received is apart from the Word of God. It's different. Do not take anybody's word for it. And if you are in, a, in an area to have good teaching, and good, take that good teaching be thankful for it, but be honest and be open, for one. Okay, honesty is a favorite commodity. And let's respect the ones that we respect, teaching and, and the Word of God. And you know how you can respect the one that teaches the Word of God the most? I can tell you, not give them money, not invite them over for dinner, not give them an extra chicken, not do anything like that. You can respect whether it's a ministry that you highly support, whether it's me whether it's, it's Mike, whether it's Greg, whether it's anybody, Cam or anybody, Leon, the best respect you can do to us that are afforded the responsibility of the Word of God is to check it out. Don't let anybody fool you. False teachers out there will not say, hey, check me out. Take everything I say according to the Word of God. No, that's not it. They're full of pride. They want to speak. False prophets, read the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, for example, and see that back then, the proliferation of false prophets, false teachers, they all speak from their own dreams or their own philosophy or their own wishes. They do not speak from the Lord. You read so many times that, that, that God tells the prophet Jeremiah, they, they went, but I did not send them. They have a false message they are not speaking for me. That same prophet, mark this down, man, if you're taking notes or anybody, Jeremiah 9.23. For example, that will tell you exactly what God delights in. That we would understand Him, that we would know Him, that He's a God that exercises not only judgment, but loving kindness. He says, in these things I delight. Shame on anybody that goes to church that doesn't bring their Bible. 
That's one of the things we're doing with, with Voice of the Martyrs. They have a wonderful situation up. There's people that are unfortunate around the world that don't have Bibles. So we give them money. We send them money so that people can have the Bible. Nobody in this country can say, I don't have a Bible. And if they don't have a Bible, they can't afford it. Let's get one in their hands. But we need to know the Word of God. From the beginning to the end, from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22, Thy Word, O Lord, is settled in heaven. You quicken me according to thy word. I went astray. But when your word found me, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. I think that the apostles, you know, we said before, what would, what would they say if they came down here? Would they say anything different? Nope. No, they wouldn't. They would say exactly what they said here. If they, if God sent the apostles here to write the New Testament, it would be what God has right here. It wouldn't be new revelations. It wouldn't be two thousand year old uh, old documents. They need to be kind of thrown away. We need to, you know, spruce it up a little bit. When I first was was uh, engaged to my wife to get married, I wrote her in a love letter. I love you. Would it change today? No. God says, I love you when he created man. You know when he created man, it was an act of love. How do we know that? Well, Adam and Eve is a myth. Well, if you take Adam and Eve out, you take one of the created acts of God of absolute love. Oh, the garden? Well, the garden, that's a myth. Well, you know why God drove man from the garden? Do you know why he put cherubim around the tree of life? So man would eat of the tree of life, partake it, and live in a sinful condition forever. So we see the love of God right in the beginning of the Bible. How do I know God's love? The Bible. Well, God's just, God's whole, and God won't bend. How do I know that? My father didn't bend either. But yet my friend's father was, was a lazy drunk, bent on everything, didn't care what. How do we know what God's like? The Bible. God is not going to bend. I'm in a problem. You know, I had a teacher in high school that when they started grading on a curve, said, yeah. Kind of cool, you know. It gives some people like me, who was a C student, a little bit more of a leeway. God's not like that. I'm a sinner, and I can either go to have, go and stand in front of God and give an account of my sin and be banished of Him because His righteous, holy, and true, or I can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and have Him bear the punishment of my sin and stand before God as my Savior that loves me and washed me from my sins in His own blood. How do I know this? You won't find it from the murdered church today. You'll find that in the Word of God. We need to get into the Word and let it get into us to do its work. You know, the more and more I, I, I go on in ministry, the more and more I realize that God has not called me to a complex type of theology. And I thank Him for because I'm not a complex guy. But He's called me to call people back to His Word that he, that, and back to the love of God, which knows no bounds. There is nothing I could do that could say that could afford God opportunity to say, you know what? I I just can't put up with you anymore. He has every right to do that. But did you hear what I said? It does, that does not afford him an opportunity because that is not God's character. God's character is love. And he pursued me for all of my life. Until I was 22 years old, he pursued me, and he found me, and he, he had someone share with me in the power of the Spirit, his love, his gospel. Then I came to realize that Jesus Christ died for my sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead according to the Scripture. Everything's according to the Word of God. You have the New Age movement now that say that the journey to the cross is a worthless journey. Wow. I want to tell you something that we've, you know, and I'll, I'll end with this because I, we do have to get into First Peter, but, you know, what really happened on the cross? You, have, you, you go apart from the biblical account, we have all different types of things that they imagine what happened. 
Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ went to the cross for one purpose and one purpose alone. That was to atone and to take the punishment for our sin and to bring us back to God or to reconcile us to God. He did not come to be a good teacher, although he was. He did not come to bring moral fabric in the society, although he did. He did not come to set women in a place of, of honor and, and of special relationship, which he did. What he came to do was to die for you and me, to reconcile us to God. Because with humanly speaking, that was impossible. Men don't want to hear that. I'm good enough to get to heaven. I got good character. They don't want to hear that. But listen to what Paul said to the Colossians. He said, For please the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, talking about the Godhead. This is Christ. And by him, I'm in Colossians chapter 1, if you're taking notes, verse 20, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. How does God make peace? Good works? Church attendance? We're going to make this world right. We're going to solve. I mean, I, he made peace with man because Christ's blood was shed as a sacrifice for man's sins. How do we know that? The word of God. So we'll go one step further, having made peace not only through the blood of his cross, listen to this, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. How did he do that? Well, God's going to be pleased with me, is he? No, God's pleased with Christ dying in your stead, which makes the possibility for you to become his beloved child. Listen to this. Yet now is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. You will not get this doctrine apart from the Bible. You will not get this doctrine in the emergent church. You will not get this doctrine in the International House of Prayer. You will not get this doctrine anywhere else other than the Bible and those that stick to it. And Paul wrote the first part of Galatians telling you, woe to those that pervert the gospel of Christ. We know that because it's written in the Word. The Bible is our only source of truth. It's our only direction in a dark world to God. And it is the only source that we would know that God is love, that He's loving kindness. Do you want to know the how God treats us? That's what we've been doing here. How does God deal with me on a day-to-day -day basis? How does God deal with me? How does He deal with me when I sin? Is He mad? Is He angry? Does He say, you, you go one step further and you're really in the hot water now? No, God deals with us as a father. It's an intimate issue now. I was at enmity. I was apart from God, separated by sin. God was angry at the wicked every day. I was headed for judgment. God's pleading with me. And when I turn to Christ for my sin, it's an intimate issue now. It's a family issue. God deals with sin as an intimate issue because Christ satisfied His holiness on my account. Christ satisfied the justice of God on my account. Now I can come to God filled with His righteousness, and if I come to Him as I have sinned, I have defiled myself, God says, just come to me, acknowledge your sin, and I am faithful and just to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's an intimate issue now. No matter what I do, my dad, although he's gone right now, I will always be his son. But when I learned the attributes of my dad and how much, how much he loved me and cared for me, it was very easy for me to turn and, and love him back. But what if somebody has a father that wasn't that way? Do we are we how are we gonna how are we gonna base our Christianity? Are we gonna base on, on the bad example we had, or are we gonna base based on the scripture? God is love and he's tender and he's kind. We know who he is, we learn that from the scripture, so now we're all on the same playing field, folks. I had a great father. Some of you didn't. Should that make a difference? 
No, because when we're new creations in Christ Jesus, the old passed away, the new has come. Now, it's my Father who I deal with. It's my Father who loves me. It's Jesus who said, I will never leave you, forsake you. Some of us had fathers that have split, you know, or beat us, or molest us, or whatever the case is. That's a bad example of God. We learn from the Scripture, the Bible. Wow. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would realize that it's your word, precious gift, or as the King James translators say, that an inestimable treasure that excels all the riches of the earth. We've been given your word. There is, that's the most precious commodity that we have. For through it, we realize that you love us and that you correct us when needed. But then you even correct in love. You're not the, like the parent who goes too far and, and, and whips and leaves welts and hurts and whatever. You're not that parent. You know exactly how to correct us and to love us. We learn that from your word. And I pray today, Father, as we get into your word, that you would show us again your glory through your written word, that we might revere the living word who speaks so eloquently of We ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter. Wow. You know, some of these truths probably are really hitting home to some of you for the first time, but I guarantee you when, when they grab a hold of your life, you will forever be different. You will never be the same. God's Word does that. You know, we start out last week um, in First Peter chapter 1, and I'm not going to go over chat, or verse 2, talking about the elect. That's, that's hopefully something that we all got a little bit of uh, insight of, but... I wanted to really start in verse 3 uh, today and, uh, and touch on that a little bit, and, uh, and we'll go on. You know, Peter starts this out saying that he's an apostle. Apostle of Jesus Christ, one specifically sent. You know, as we're reading, his, we're not reading the words of Peter, we're reading the words of the living God. Yes, uh, the Bible uh, states emphatically that God you know, chose certain few, and they, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they wrote with a personality, whatever, but believe me, these are the words of God. You know, uh, time would fail us, and I, and I believe that would be true if we wanted to systematically lay out from Genesis to Revelation why the Bible is the Word of God. It's irrefutable. I think most people just don't take the time to really, uh, you know, to really see that. But he's an apostle, and he writes these pilgrims that are dispersed. Most of these, this area we talked about today is in Turkey, around that area. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, we talked about that. And sanctification of the spirit, obedience of blood, or the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We know the fact that the Trinity, or the triune God, or the Godhead, was absolutely involved in our, uh, our redemption. And God throughout the Bible reveals himself that way. Again, apart from any other uh, entity or whatever, you know, these religions out there, God reveals himself in a certain way. And that's through God the Father, through God the Son, by the Holy Spirit. When we approach God in prayer, we approach God as a relationship, we approach him through the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in the Holy Spirit. God is, that's how he reveals himself to us. That's how we grow. That's how we understand. But blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, again, to a living hope by the resurrection of the dead. Now, I know we, we, we're on this a little while, but I want to I say something to you real quick. That's a phenomenal revelation uh, in the Word of God. It was to me and... and this is Peter's definition, one of them, of being born again. I simply have in the bottom of my Bible, born again, under that verse. Now, for those that know it by heart, then you don't need to turn there, but our famous verse, and I hope this verse is, is solidified in your, in your memory bank, because I've used it many times, um, and people say, well, what's it, what does it mean to be born again? 
Well, you know, sometimes in the Bible, when we go through the, the definitions of that, it's, it's, it's very helpful to go and see what the Master himself says about these things. Because after all, we are born into him. We are born because of him. Our sins are forgiven because of him. We'll be in heaven because of him. We have the Spirit because of him. So, Jesus told Nicodemus in 3.3, you must be born again. But again, in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Surely I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. That's being born again. Born of the Spirit. Paul talks about it in in 1 Corinthians 12 and so forth. Peter here is saying, Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, remember mercy is the occasion for God's doors of grace to be opened upon you and me. God had mercy upon you. He wanted you for himself. The mercy. He opened the door of his grace. Christ came down and lived a life and, and uh, that we could live, died a, a death of, uh, of eternal significance. So he's blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. Begotten simply means we are born into him. We are his now. Has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why you have that so attacked today. Not, there was two aspects before, before I leave this, this verse. Two aspects of, of the significance of this. Number one, God proved that he was satisfied by dying in yours and mine's place. We know that because he raised his son from the dead. God is satisfied with, God, with his son dying on your and mine's behalf because he raised him from the dead. How do I know that my sins are forgiven? How do I know that my sins are gone? Do I feel good? Not most days. We live in a sin-fallen world. I know that my sins are forgiven and forever gone because Christ rose from the dead. So I know that, number one, God is satisfied with Christ dying for me, so he he raised him from the dead. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know. Because Christ raised from the dead. Paul says it this way, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, you are still in your sins. Think about that. You are forgiven. Those of you who have been born again in Jesus Christ, have been begotten again to a living hope of the resurrection of the dead, those two aspects are your promises. Keep them and remember them. Never forget them. God is satisfied with Christ dying for you. So we should be. That's called rest. And you should be forever joyful and understand that your sins are forgiven you. If you were to die right now, you would be in His presence, beholding His glory anticipating all of the wonderful things that the Bible says are yours because we've been begotten to a living hope by Christ raising from the dead. That is amazing. Now, taking that, isn't that amazing? Just that verse right there, going back to the apostles' history before the ascension of Christ. It's powerful. Do we know this? We should. The Bible's replete. So let's start on reading verse 3, and I'll, I'll read down to, to, to uh, well, we'll read just a little bit, get the context going here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, guarded, by the power of God, through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you are been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your salvation, or excuse me, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow. To know the scriptures, to know the God of the scriptures means everything. How, you know, people get so tripped up. My faith, my faith, you know. Verse 7 says the genuineness of your faith. Listen, true genuine faith comes from knowing the scriptures. That's the only way we're going to have true genuine faith. I can have faith all I want in a God that I don't know. I can have faith all I want in, in, the, uh, in somebody, in my wife and everything, but invariably they're going to fail me. You know, faith is a substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith does. There's something in biblical faith that changes you. It's the power of God. That's what it does. Faith is the avenue that God grants us to to grab a hold of, of the forgiveness in Christ, to grab a hold of the promises of Christ. You know, Christ came down and he lived a life and he died and he resurrected and he went to heaven. God sent the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin. And when I turn from my sin to Christ and I believe in him, I have faith in Christ that he hung there for me and that when he died, he went into the ground Three days later, he rose from the dead. In that body he was crucified in, he ascended to the Father. He's at his right hand. He's there for me. And he's there for you. Believing in this, there's power there. Believing in the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's something about the Word of God that transcends anything else. Yeah, I might, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Or I might have a plumbing problem and this one fitting put on right does take care of the plumbing. Those, that is, that is a fact based on something you can see, based on something you touch, based on something you can work with. This is spiritual truth. Spiritual truth. If you want to grow in your true essence, which is not flesh and blood, your true essence and your soul and spirit being united one day in the hope of the resurrection, just as Jesus came from the grave in a new body. That's power. But verse 4 says, I have an inheritance. And that it's, it's not going to fade away. It's not going to go away. You know? Um, it's reserved in heaven for me. It's reserved in heaven for me because the God of the universe reserved my table. And reserve your table. He did himself. How did he do it? Here's where the crux of the gospel comes in. He reserved that place in heaven for you, and he sealed it with the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought it with the blood of Christ. He sealed it with the Spirit, and it is undefiled and reserved in heaven for you. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, talks about being sealed two times. Just in that short epistle. We are sealed. Christ redeemed us with his blood and he sealed it with his Holy Spirit. That's, that's amazing. Do you know where you're going? Are you certain? We're going to get into this next verse and spend a little time on it. You know, um, we have talked many times before and I don't want to be redundant. I think we won't as we hit this in a little bit different light. What, is it, what does it mean to be kept by God? To be guarded by Him, as some translations say. To have the assurance, not only of this life, but in the life to come. If I am not assured of my spot in heaven that's reserved specifically for me, how can I be sure of anything down here? If my hope 
is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, then my life down here can be solid. And I can walk this life anticipating the next. Look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. Jude says it this way. Jude 1 says, To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved or kept in Jesus Christ and called. You know, one of my favorite, I just uh, happened to think about this now, and, and I, I hope that this ministers to you. Again, we can go back to the Psalms and, and see what is God? What does He do? You know, He's a personal God. So by the, by the fact that He is a personal God, He's a delivering God, He's a knowable God, He's a saving God. There's no abortions in the kingdom of God. You know, and God says in Psalm 37, which is one of my favorite psalms in the midst of David saying that, there's a great uh, verse in here, Psalm 37, verse 28. He says, For the Lord loves justice. He does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. God's character is once he starts, he brings to completion. Once he promises and makes his own, that is his own. Because you see, it's the power of God that changes us. It's God himself that changes us. You know, when we are born again, we're new creatures in Christ. It is him that causes the growth. It is he the one that keeps the promises. It is he the one that keeps the promises alive through his word. So we don't grow weary through a dry and thirsty land. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. And I know where I'm going. And that's because of the word of God solely. God is a preserving God. He is a preserving God. Think about that for a while. How do we know that? Well, we know that by going way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put it there. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. Talking about, you know, yes, Christ on the crucifixion will suffer blows, so to speak. But the crushing death blow of sin and the, and, and the hate of our souls will be dealt with. We see that back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. How do I know God's keeping God when he says he's going to do? Let's talk about Cain and Abel for a second. Why did Abel, why was his sacrifice accepted in God's was not, or excuse me, in Cain's was not? Abel came to God in God's way. And he had complete assurance. Cain came to God in something of Cain's way, something of his doing. Today we equated a church tent being a good guy, being a moral guy, being an absolute, whatever you want to call it. God rejected that. And this is the seed of the gospel all the way through the scripture. Man's works are rejected by God. God must do the work. God must, we must approach God in his way or we cannot approach him at all. We see the flood in Genesis chapter 7. The flood. Wow. God warned and warned and warned and warned of judgment, but we also see in Genesis 6, 5, a definition of man more than now, or I should say just as much now, every imagination of the man's heart was wicked to this continually. God saved eight souls, but the wonderment of that is the Lord, in Genesis chapter 7, 16, the Lord shut them into the ark. The Lord shut them into safety. The Lord kept them through the storm. The Lord delivered them. And out of of Noah and his sons were started again, what we see now. Abraham, let's go to Genesis chapter 12. He, he, God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless you and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. There's a seed, Abraham, that's going to come through you that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He tells Abraham, and, and Abram, when he was still Abram in Genesis 3, this is important. Remember he changed Abram's name to Abraham because he said, you're not only a father of little now, I'm going to make you a, uh, change your name to Abraham, you father of multitude. Listen to this. He told Abram, before he changed his name to Abraham, he said, do not be afraid, Abram. 
I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, does this sound like a God who's fickle? Does this sound like a God who, who advocates abortion in his, in his kingdom? No. So in Genesis 17 to Abraham, I hope you find this instructive. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, between your descendants after you in their generations for a what? A temporary? For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants. We are all descendants of Abraham who have faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says. The Passover. Let's move on now. We'll move into Exodus. I'm just saying a few of these. You know, we all know the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea. The Lord says, "The Lord is." are they saying this song? The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him. You know, we sing that, uh, you know, I have friends that uh, you sing this song beautifully, it brings tears to my eyes. The song, the Lord is my strength and my song. Do we, are, are we seeing the pictures here early in the pages of the Bible? How God, when He enacts a transaction, when He makes a covenant, when He causes us to be born again, when He when we come to Him and we are His, we are safe. But it's not because it's so light and fuzzy and, oh gosh, you know, it's wonderful. We have biblical understanding all the way through the Scripture. Again, we move on. How the manna fell faithfully. Faithfully. For 40 years. Now you can't go very far in Exodus and Numbers and so far and see how the Israelites were not a faithful people at all. But God was. And for 40 years that manna fell. You know when it stopped? It stopped when they went into the land. Listen, folks, when we get to heaven, I don't want any of us to, to have any regret if we are able by not understanding these now not walking through this wilderness now as solid, mature Christians, as knowing that there is nothing that will happen that can crush me. My God has me in the palm of His hands. Let's go on. Moses said in Deuteronomy 33, the eternal God is your refuge. What? The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the what? The everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33, 27. King David, moving on. First Kings, when he's about ready to die, this is wonderful. First Kings chapter 1, verse 29. Now she came into him and they were asking a favor from him because she wanted Solomon desperately to, to be the king. And yes, Solomon was decreed to be the king. But there was rivalries even there. You know what David said to her? First Kings chapter 1, verse 29, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. Whoa! You committed adultery with Bathsheba, you committed your own Jerusalem water gate, you had her, her husband murdered, off with you! Really? Is that our God? See, the difference is, folks, those who come into a covenant relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and they are born again, that's a far cry different from those who merely profess to be religious. You entered in when, when you trusted Christ as your Savior. The only answer to your sins lost is for your lost and sinful condition. God does something to you. He does not refashion you and say, okay, now we're going to be religious. Now we're going to work on a few things. He makes you a new creation of Christ Jesus. You are His. You are covenantly His and His alone. You know, we say like the other day, and, and you know, in weddings, no rivals. You know, you know where man learned that? God. God says there's going to be no rival between you, Jeff, and me. Wow. We can go on. Psalm 18, we all know. It's a psalm of David, my, my God, my rock, my redeemer, my fortress, my deliverer. We go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. By the green grass, he lays me down like on one of comfort and rest. Yes, he leads me up in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, but he knows when to lead, he knows when to, to cause. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ doing that often to his disciples. Come away and rest. 
But we also see him carrying a staff that he knows how, how to gently lead me back to where I should be. And he also knows how to beat away the, the onslaught of, of the enemy. What a wonderful God. Listen to what Isaiah says. And this, I just hope this whets your ear or whets your appetite a little bit for the wonderful faithfulness of our God. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, this is what Isaiah says. The work of righteousness, which will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and assurance forever. Wow. Isaiah chapter 53, we all know that chapter. Um, he was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid the iniquity of, him, of all of us on him. Psalm 69, the reproaches, Jesus said, that we're approaching, being heaped upon you. Father, they were heaped upon me. That's just a few things of the Old Testament. Isaiah 66 is, is a testimony of what it's going to be like when we are with him. We are going to see the torrents of the ungodly um, suffering eternal torment apart from, from God. Reach and read Isaiah 66, especially the last verses from 22 to, to the end. It's amazing. Then we get into the New Testament. Jesus said in John 3, 7, remember, you must be born again. You must be. If you're taking notes, then, then I'm not going to go through all these. I don't have the time. But our verse, John 5, 24, I hope that becomes indelible to you. John 6, 37, 6, 47. John 10, 9, 10, 27, 28, 29. John chapter 11, 25, 26. John chapter 14, verse 16, forever. John chapter 17, verse 3, talking to his father. And this is eternal life, he said. They might know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. John 19.30 Jesus Christ hung his head in death said, It is finished. The work that thou gavest me to do, I have finished it. You can't get very far in the Acts. You've seen that the, the message in Acts 2 that was preached on through through uh, chapters 9 and 10 all the way from the, from the uh, wonderful teaching of Peter from Acts chapter 10 all the way through the wonderful teaching and preaching of Paul and seeing what he went through to talking about in Acts chapter 26 verse 18 about the inheritance again let me tell you what the Bible says in the epistles real quickly about our position in Christ I hope this is instructive this morning you have a God that loves you and that keeps you and that preserves you and has a place for you in heaven. He is preparing that right now. And the enemy wants to take that joy away from us. Listen to some of these. This is our position in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. He is our inheritance. He is our sanctification. He's our redemption. He's our wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, I alluded to before, where Paul's talking about the baptized into one body. We've all been baptized into the body of Christ. It is a spiritual baptism of eternal significance. Not earthly, not temporal, not as long as this life lives, eternal. Let me tell you something. When we're looking at these scriptures, when we're thinking about these things, understand that God is eternal from past. He's eternally in the future. We are just recipients. And I use my hands because that's all I can say. We are recipients, you know, of eternal life. But this eternal life is from the eternally past and eternally future. That is what it means to be born again. We have received eternal life. We are now in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. Remember that statement of Barnabas, I love it. You can no more take the believer out of Christ than you can take Christ out of God. Arrogance, absolutely not. Biblical fact that you can rest on and walk on and rejoice in. Wow. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Verses 22 and 23. In Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive. There are two types of people in this world. In Adam and in Christ. Remember, no abortions in the kingdom of God. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, everyone in Christ is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Paul says it this way, that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I just quoted. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. I am an heir with Christ. I am an heir with Christ. You know, people say, well, you know what, son? You've degraded this family, and I'm sick of it. You're out of my will. God doesn't do that. I've known people that have done that. Took their kids out of the will or what have you. God doesn't do that. People say, well, you know, I haven't really seen a change in him because, you know, He's been a study, he's been a Christian for years. Well, it's like the old additive. Oh, God sees the evil in this world, he must not care. Or God sees the evil in this world and he has the power to do it. Something about it and does not care. Both are true. God cares and God has the power and we will see the power. But God's grace is open for people to come to him and receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life with him. There is going to come a day when we will see God's power awesome power on the evil of this world. But as for us, we are safe. Listen to this one. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed are we with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ. You read in, in Ephesians 2 6, where are we right now? Positionally with God. We are in the heavens of Christ Jesus. What is Jesus doing in heaven according to Hebrews chapter 10? He's in heaven for us. You can't get around it. Wow. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, the next verse, verse 4. We are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. A few verses down, Ephesians 1, 6. That we are accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted in the Beloved. You know, we're not like these religious systems that really don't know. We're just going to have to wait to see if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. Is that what a good judge does? No. To quote a movie? No. We know now the good judge did something about his law. He kept it. He vindicated it on my behalf by his son going to the cross and taking the punishment for my sin, which I so rightly deserve. Ephesians 1.11, I have an inheritance. You know, the Bible states that we are God's inheritance, but He is also ours. Then we're talking about Ephesians 2.6, I have been raised with Christ. And then it's after God talks about, through the apostle, the power that God used to raise His Son from the dead. He used that same power to cause us to be born again. We've been spiritually raised from the dead. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You are waiting, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, you are waiting the redemption of your body. You're not waiting the redemption of your soul and your spirit. You are with Christ in the heavenlies. He leaves us here as ambassadors. Why are we here? I don't understand why we're here. I'll tell you why we're here. To be a light to this world, to show this world that God lives and that He is loving kindness. He is a loving God and He has provided redemption and a way back to Him. Will you come to Christ? Will you come through His front door and be saved? Then we're talking about being sealed with Christ. Remember, let's not forget our verse. We're talking about verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. God says that He not only provided that. Uh, security, but he also sealed us. We, we'll, just, we'll just go on real quick. This is exciting stuff. God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, who has also sealed us and has given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. 
Here's what I was talking about, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And whom ye also trusted, after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Again, listen to the tenses of this. Whom ye trusted, you heard the word of God, the gospel of your salvation. After ye have believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Whether you feel like it or not, if you've come to Christ as your Savior, you are sealed for God. You are His possession. And there's a second time in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of what? Redemption. We're sealed unto that day. The same apostle wrote again in Philippians 1, 6, remember? That I am confident. We need confidence here. That's what we're trying to build here. We, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. We've been sealed. We've already read the two scriptures, one that we're in right now, 1 Peter 5, talking about being kept by God, who are kept by the power of God through faith. And the Jude says that we are preserved or kept or guarded in Jesus Christ. We saw in, in uh, also in Psalm 37, God's a preserving God. You know, as, as the common acronym, or not acronym, but type, if you will, in the Bible, one of them is salt. Salt preserves. God is a preserving God. Promise of eternal life. You know, the blatant promises all through the Word of God. We not only have a promise that we're, we're bought, we not only promise that we're never going to perish, we not only promise of complete forgiveness of sins, God gives us point-blank promises of eternal life. Listen to some of these. I only took him to start 1 John, 1 John 5.25. This is the promise that he promised us. Even eternal life. God promised you eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. We have eternal life. And the people that say otherwise... They say, well, you, you know, no, that's not true because what you're saying is now it's up, it's up to you to keep eternal life. It's not up to me to keep eternal life. It's up to Christ. He did it. And how do I know? God raised him from the dead. We're back into our third verse here. This is the promise that he promised us, eternal life. If God can't keep his promises, no one can. 1 John 5.13. Huh, I love this verse. These things I have written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And I love this. And we'll, we'll, we'll end this little discussion here and go on in a few more minutes. But I, I hope this has been encouraging. It was encouraging to me to write these things, look them up. God's Word is a gemstone to those who, who care to embellish in it. It's us. It's been given to us. You know, I, I look at the Bible in this way. Christ shed his blood so I can have this Bible. There's a lot of people who have the Bible, but it's, it, it doesn't make any sense to them. But Christ gave his life for me in order that I may have God's word and know it. <laughs> that is excellent. Listen to this. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come. Yes, we do. And has given us an understanding. Yes, he has. That we may know him who is true. That we are in Him. See, that's the thing. We are in Him who is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Well, people mess it up. So, well, there you go. Through your faith. As soon as you lose your faith, then you then you know you're in danger of losing salvation. Is that what the word of God says? No. No. Our blessed faith that we've been giving is what keeps us rejoicing and steadfast in the promises that God has given. Verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And this verse, my friends, is one of the great uh, verses that explains the, 
the absolute agreement in the Word of God. We have a uh, an apostle that wrote about AD 65 or so. We have an apostle that wrote um, about oh, AD 45 or 50. We're talking about James and Peter coming at two different points. James is so hard for people to understand. But as Paul, or excuse me, as Peter is saying here that we rejoice, even if we're grieved by various trials. Let's go on to verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, James, you know, remember when we were there, my brother counted all joy when you fall into various trials. How can we count it all joy? Because we know this God. We know the promises. We know who God is and what He does and how He acts with us and what He what He brings in our life. We heard a thing one time, and I'll just briefly say this. Hopefully you don't get caught up with this. Is there anything wrong with somebody coming to you and saying, Brother, don't you ask me to pray for you for patience. Do you really want to do that? You don't want to do that. Is that right or is that wrong? That's wrong theology. God uses trials in our life. What the guy was saying, he says, hey, if I pray for your patience, look out, man. God's going to send you the trials. So you don't want to do that. Well, wait a minute. We, God wants, one of the things of being patient is the fruit of the Spirit. We want endurance. And the trials are the ones that come into our life that are testing, not only testing our faith, but refining it to His glory. And Peter, along with James, is saying, You rejoice greatly, even now that you have grieves, grievance of trials. But you know what? What we have just talked about in our position in Christ and our understanding that we have been forgiven, that our eternal life is secure, that God is who He says He is and He's going to do what He says He's going to do. And when trials come in, what do we do? We, we trust God. If God is who He says He's going to be, then God is going to do what He says He's going to do. And that fiery trial refines us, you know? We go back in the Old Testament through so many parts of the Word. Remember when uh, when Daniel's three friends were thrown into the furnace? There's a precedent there. Even Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, wait a minute, didn't, didn't we throw three in there? There's four in there. When we go through the trials of life, we're going through the trial, but there's another in the trial with you. And that's God. He's in the trial with you. Time would fail us to go through the examples of the Bible. I just have once. I believe it's on Isaiah 43. I'm not sure. When thou pass through the waters, they shall not overflow thee. Flame is not going to kindle upon you. The rivers aren't going to overtake you. God is with you. I am the Lord thy God, thy Savior. He is with us during everything. So we know all these things. We're blessed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven. We're, we're the elect of God. We have simply because we believe and we receive his, his word, his forgiveness. We're sprinkled with his blood. We're sanctified, set apart for him. He's setting us apart to be his witnesses. And as Paul is, you know what? I'll tell you what. When we get to heaven, the Bible says that, for, and you find this in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, that all, for all eternity, all created, uh, createdness, whether that's the universe or whatever else is created, is going to marvel at the grace of God because of us. So through all these, we grieve. But you know what? When it all comes out, the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. And that is how they test gold, by the way. They heat it up, and they heat it up, and they heat it up, and they heat it up. I, I heard of a uh, um, of an operation that these people were, were, were trying to take down a, a cocaine sting, or a big cocaine in Southern California years and years ago. And uh, it was actually a movie, try to duplicate this, but it's a true story that they, 
They found it in a uh, in a store, in the back room of a store. And these people, what they were doing is they were hiding it under, under wax. And uh, once the wax was congealed, it concealed all the, the drugs on the bottom. But if they turned on the, but when they wanted to get the, the substance, the drugs, they turned on the heat, melted the wax, and now everything started coming to the top. See, that's what happens to our faith. When we go through trials and tribulations, God is turning up the heat. He's refining. And He's getting rid of all that that doesn't belong to the glorious life in Jesus Christ. So why wouldn't we count it joy when we found various trials? Now we look at trials in a different way. God, why are you doing this to me? We've all gone through that. Why are you doing this to me? You know? Why, why are you letting this happen in my life? Or even right now? And I, you know, I'm even learning now. Right now. Why, you know, for you that know, I, you know, split my head open not too long ago with my teeth. And why is all this happening now? We're trying to saw it home. I'm like, really? Now is the time to sit down and take some time out of your busy day and realize who am I trusting? Does God really have things completely under control or does he not? Get off the fence and stay on one side or the other. You know? But it takes years and time and, and, and tribulation and trial. You're rejoicing in all that? That's great. You're even rejoicing now even though you're going through trials. Even though something's not happening in your life. I don't, I don't understand how a... a a woman who has a problem or, or grieving for her kids, this message is for, for them, as well as everybody now. Um, I know you're grieving, but you're going to come out of this. Believe me. Stay with Christ. Stay with Him. Trust in Him with all your heart, even though the bellows of this world are blowing against you. Trust in Him, and I will guarantee, I promise you, by the Word of God, your faith will come out finer than gold. Your faith will come out to where you're really a witness for Jesus Christ. You know, you can go out and you can teach a good... I've heard of so many people that can uh, explain the Gospel so much better than I have, but their lives are just don't match what they talk about, you know? Or they'll go for a little while, and, and you know, 15 or 20 years down the road, they just take a left turn, and they're dishonoring God by not only life, but how they... Represent him and uh, welcome those trials that come in. But you know what? But on the bottom of those trials, God never sends you trials if he doesn't have anything resting under you to catch him. And that's his everlasting arms. And involved in that are his promises. You know, that's that's the hallmark of this church. I got, few, I got two more minutes. You know, is First uh, Corinthians 3.11. No other foundation can be laid than that which is already laid. That's Jesus Christ. You have your foundation. God will cause phenomenal growth in your life. Growth that you will praise Him for. Growth that will, that will make a difference. You have a bad marriage? Whose fault is it? Men. Well, you just don't know my wife. Well, you know, no, I don't, but God does. You know, to, to somebody that's saying, you just don't know my wife, does she know you? How are you, are you portraying Jesus Christ to her? Are you walking blameless before her? Does she have a reason to accuse you? Maybe that's the trial that you're in right now. Who knows? God, God allows a lot of trials to come into our life. Let's not... Uh, Let's not help them by creating our own. God will give us enough. He will allow us enough to come in here. Just like that man, that when he allowed that man to go across and chop down that tree, but he was ultimately doing it for the good of the vineyard and his glory. Wow. And it's going to be found at praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. I'll end it in verse 7. You know, when this life is over, which could be over at any, any time for any one of us, if the Lord came back, can you imagine standing before Him? Standing before Him. Think about that. The words of Scripture cannot describe His glory. 
we will be standing before him. And if we allow the winds of this world to redirect our focus, to bother us, to cause us worry, to give us strife, we are going to have a lot of regret when we, when we are before him. I, I truly believe that. Not losing our salvation. How many myriads of kids at the end of their life or after they've grown up in their heart, if not by their mouth, said, I regret the way that I've treated my parents. I regret the way that I've treated my wife who's no longer my wife. Or, or whatever. Regret is, is horrible. We need not have regret, brethren, about the Lord. You know His promises. Get to know His Word. Know that He loves you with the love that is everlasting. And yet, He's going to correct you. What good man or woman doesn't want to be corrected? You don't want to be corrected. Oh, when you're young in the Lord, you, don't, you know, like a young kid, they don't like being corrected. But I'll tell you what, I do. <laughs> I thank my Father in Heaven for my dad that corrected me because... There's a couple of stories that resonate in my life that will be with me forever that he corrected me on. Wow, what a fool I was. We have a loving God who knows when to correct and when not to correct. Preciousness of our faith. I want us to stand before the Lord, brethren, in, in, in anticipation and in, in just, Lord, it was all worth it. I gave my life for you. I did everything you asked me to do. I didn't do it flawlessly. I was in a sinful body, but you forgave me. And I rested in your promises. I served you. You asked me to go. I went. You asked me to speak. I spoke. You asked me to treat my wife as that you treat the church. We could go on and on. And I did these things, Lord, the power of your spirit. And now here you are. And here I am. It's all gone. It's all over. This is what we have. This time is what we have. Let's make the most of it. Let's don't waste it. Let's make the most of it. The genuineness of our faith. That's what I want. The genuineness of our faith. You know, as fool's gold, a lot of times are a false, cheap metal will leave a green ring or whatever on your skin. False motives, false doctrine, not the real thing, will leave its ugly mark on your life. That's just the way it is. We want to be genuine people. Mike, do you want to pray, please? Lord, we want to be in complete joy when we stand before you at your appearing. We are thankful for your word this morning. We want to be effectual doers and not deceive ourselves by just coming here and listening every week. Lord, please help us to be faithful in each situation that we come across in our daily lives to act according to your word. Um, Lord, I also beg you for the life of Samuel Hack that was on the bicycle the other day. Lord, please, miraculously, Lord, only you can do it. Please let him live and recover. Please bless his parents who are there with him. Please bless our time of fellowship. And, um, Lord, let be centered on you. Amen. Amen. Amen.